0: Welcome to Shoot Like a Girl, a podcast featuring interviews with extraordinary military women from around the world who push their limits on and off duty. I'm your host, Kate Stewart, and this is episode number 35. Today's guest is Captain Meg Kilbride. Meg grew up in Nova Scotia and began a career as a school teacher before joining the Canadian Forces as a medic. She then took her commission as a training development officer and now works for CanSofCom. And steady, light, help cover. I'm a steamroller, baby. I'm a steamroller,
1: baby. Just a rolling down the line. Just a rolling down the line. I'm a steamroller, baby. I'm a steamroller, baby. Just a rolling down the line. Just a rolling down the line. So you better get out
0: of my way now. So you better get out of my way now. Or I roll all over you. Before I roll okay ready to get started I think so all right Meg welcome to the podcast thanks. thank you so much for being here today oh, thanks for having me so I always like to start from the beginning okay. where did you grow up I grew up in Halifax uh,
1: on the East Coast I kind of moved around a bit around the city and uh, even did a, a loop out to the churro way but Nova Scotia is uh, where the heart and home is
0: and what sort of activities or sports were you involved in during your childhood
1: Oh my gosh, I, I did a smattering of different things. I was heavily involved in cadets. Growing up, I uh, started in Halifax when I was 12. Um, once I moved over to Truro, I transferred and uh, I was in sea cadets. So made it through that. I think that's kind of where the military inspiration came from. Did lots of sailing, summer camps. I was also a mathlete and a cheerleader. So explain that
0: one. I, I don't know how. <laughs> okay, so what made you join Sea Cadets?
1: Honestly, uh, it was something that was recommended to me by one of my, my parents' friends. Their daughter had made it up further in the ranks in, in Sea Cadets, and uh, the things that she got to do sounded very exciting to me coming from a more, we'll say humble beginnings, uh, my parents didn't really have a lot of money. So the fact that cadets was a program that did not have a lot of like financial, you know, there wasn't a lot of burden on my parents, Mm -hmm. uh, other than the odd drive here and there, that was a a big thing. And so I, I got into cadets and just thrived throughout it.
0: I'm not sure if it's true, but once you get higher up in cadets, do you start getting paid once you go away for summer camp?
1: Yeah. So in the cadet program, which is sponsored by the National Department of National Defense, once you hit 16 and are employable, uh, you can become a staff cadet and they are paid for their days while they're there. It's a really great experience and kind of a stepping stone from being like a, a teenager at home to being away because there's less supervision and whatnot it it definitely teaches the discipline and whatnot, so I, I do think of it as kind of a springboard into the military. There, there's also incentive for cadets. Once you make it past a certain rank um, in, you know, army cadets, it would be warrant officer. The the military actually provides a incentive for people who join from the cadet program within five years. So it knocks six months off of your uh, your pay incentive level, or adds six months to it rather. So you you get paid in advance you know, six months of your peers that join at the same time.
0: And what sort of skills would you say that being in cadets gave you that transferred over to being in the real world and being a student and whatever other activities you were involved yeah, in?
1: So uh, looking back on my, my days in cadets, and I mean, I'm, I'm getting up there a little bit in age, so it was a while ago. Teamwork. 100%, being able to integrate with a team, and I, I mean, whether it's cadets, military, or, or any other avenue in my life, there's always a, a mixture of diverse people with diverse backgrounds. So being able to, to connect with those people and work with them to achieve a common aim, that, that's been a theme kind of throughout my life.
0: Whenever I see cadets, I just think about how they must be learning so many useful skills, yeah. and just even that discipline is something that probably maybe more... Kids these days might be able to use. Yeah,
1: honestly, the the discipline is is the thing that I brought forward from from that period of my life. Mm-hmm. Cadets taught taught that there are the you know the hard skills that you actually learn, but eventually those fade into the background, and it's those kind of like foundational life lessons that you really bring forward into the adult self. So I, I was in Sea Cadets. I still sail. I love sailing, so uh, I did bring that forward. And then how did you come to join the Canadian? Military. Oh goodness, so that was, I, I had a really roundabout way. I didn't actually join the the CAF until I was 25. Rewind a little bit, I was a high school teacher in Nova Scotia, you know, just outside of Truro at South Colchester Academy. I taught uh, chemistry, physics, calculus and law of all things. And uh, I met, uh, met a wonderful gentleman who I later married, who was in the military. While we we tried to make it work, being a teacher um, you know, had some drawbacks to moving different provinces. I would have to be relicensed in every province and I'd lose my seniority. And and I truly am a person that needs a sense of purpose in my career, in my life. I love working and I love using using my brain in my everyday job. So instead of constantly substituting, I I thought, why not? join the military. And uh, I, I joined at 25. Strangely enough, I was an older person to join. But uh, my my only regret about joining is that I didn't do it sooner in my life.
0: Yeah. I have the same regret as well. And I feel embarrassed to say, even though I grew up in Halifax, I just didn't know anything about the military, even though it's such a big Navy city. Yeah, But I do have a question With regards to cadets, you said you enjoyed it so much Mm -hmm. and you enjoyed sailing. So did you ever think about joining the Navy?
1: Oh, goodness. Honestly, I I never gave too much thought about joining the Navy because although cadets is a a wonderful program, it, it didn't really kind of provide me that insight into what the real military actually is like. It didn't really tell me what kind of career paths because I I mean, we only really had our our CIC officers there. So in Halifax, I knew the Navy was a thing. They were on ships and the MPs were the ones with red berets at the guard posts. So I didn't know a whole lot. So yeah, I didn't really get a lot of thought.
0: And so you just decided to go to university instead with the goal of becoming a teacher?
1: Yeah. So university was kind of a, a foregone conclusion for me. I, as a a younger version of me, um, I saw that, uh, like I mentioned, coming from humble beginnings, not a lot of higher education in my family. So I kind of viewed that as, as success, the the picture of success, which it is not education, super doesn't, doesn't mean you're successful or not. So I went to university and embarrassingly, I, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I thought I did. But then once I actually got into university, it was like, well, what am I going to do? So uh, I took a, a degree in chemistry because I really, really enjoyed chemistry. And it's through university that uh, I became a, a TA in the labs. And I, I found a a real knack for teaching students. And it really fulfilled me to teach students and to see them grow. And I live for the light bulb moment when you, you can see it in their eyes, that flash of holy crap, I get it. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, it's like a high for a teacher for, for me, even as a TDO. Now I still see that light bulb moment when it all comes together and it's, it's magical. So what was the hardest part of walking away from being a teacher? The kids, the kids, just the, uh, the naivete that they have about the world where really in a a kid's eyes, the world is their oyster Mm -hmm. and every single possibility lays before them. And to, to nurture that and to see that grow, that's hard to leave. Not hard to leave the, school system and the you know bureaucracy that comes with and oh my word I don't miss report cards um, <laughs> but uh, the, the kids are hard
0: yeah my mother was a teacher and report card season was always just insane I just remember the dining room table filled with papers and yeah you know not much attention from her when it was report card time
1: yeah because, well you get to know these kids mm-hmm. and so you don't you don't always see them as like a linear this is their score. You have all the history with the kids, watching them balance, you know, soccer, practice, basketball, trying to do, you know, the debate team. Um, I taught chemistry, so a lot of really high achievers. But you you see their progress and it's hard not to quantify that progress as as good. Mm -hmm. So I I don't miss
0: that part. (laughs) And what was it like for you going through basic training, having been a prior cadet?
1: Uh, So I kept that on lockdown. (laughs) Uh, I did not say that I was a former cadet because um, there was a little bit, there were a few others that were former cadets that I I think it was a, a little bit of a reality check for them. You know, yes, you know, drill, but you don't, know it all. So there was a little bit of a a walk back and maybe a a little, um, eating of the humble pie we'll Mm -hmm. say, but I, I mean, I was 25 when I joined. So there was a seven year period where I was just doing university. Then I was teaching. Um, so cadets, you know, while it was still a, a memory, it wasn't like my only experience. So I drew less on, on that experience and more on my, um, experience teaching and whatnot. So,
0: so yeah, how did you find it with regards to physical fitness at basic training?
1: Uh, that was a gut check for me. Honestly, I I'm i I'm a very petite woman. I, I stand at five foot two, and although I liked to run, the first time being loaded with you know the helmet, the glasses, the weapon, the rucksack that reaches my knees, it's like oh, what have I gotten myself into? Um, it's, it's a lot, but the sense of pride that I felt, um, you know, the first time climbing nine stairs with every stitch of gear I owned strapped to me and I did it. I can remember that minute. And that was like, okay, like I'm doing this, I'm doing the thing. So uh, I don't come from a family of military people. Like I am the first person. So I honestly, other than my husband, who is air force, like I didn't really know what to expect. And all of a sudden I'm, you know, doing the campaign and that kind of stuff. So that was, that was a, a reset for me.
0: Did you do any specific physical training beforehand? So I ran, I
1: definitely ran. And um, so I was really fortunate in the fact that my husband was in the military. So I had access to the PSP staff and uh, at that point, it wasn't the force test; it was the express test. Mm-hmm. So I I went to the PSP staff and said, "Hey, I'm a military spouse, and I'm getting ready to go to basic training. Can can you help me?" And so they actually did the express test with me, so that I could see where I was at and where I could improve. So I there's in in Baggettville. If any of your listeners have been to Baggettville, they will know that perpendicular to the base, there is a long perfectly flat and straight five kilometer road, and every day I would get my husband to drop me off at one end and I would time myself to our door, which was five kilometers and 10 meters. And the day that I hit under 25 minutes was a high. That was when I got hooked to the runner's high. So a lot of running, did the pushups, did the sit ups. Did I I've always been a dancer so I had you know that kind of strength as well So uh, I I do sports
0: that I enjoy After basic training. What does it look like to get fully qualified in your trade?
1: Okay, so Keep in mind that I didn't actually join as a TDO. TDO was not a direct entry trade at, at the time that I joined. So I joined as a medical technician and uh, super valuable experience. There, there was a, a brief point in, in Meg's life that I had considered going to medical school. So I became a medic and as soon as I was done basic training, I, I went to Borden where CFHSTC is. Borden is a really large training base for you know, most of our purple trades. So I was there, uh, I was awaiting training as a medic, you do a, did the clinical phase, then the paramedic phase, and then the field medicine phase. Uh, and then I got posted to Bagotville and was in a clinic, uh, subsequently posted to Gagetown clinic slash uh, field section. And then uh, as almost the first round that I could apply to commission as a TDO I did, cause that was my goal from day one. Being a medic, I really loved that. I enjoyed the field a lot, but I missed education. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's what I'm passionate about and, you know,
0: I spent a, a long time in school for, so. What did you enjoy the most about being a medic?
1: Uh, just interacting with the people and helping someone, whether it's, you know, I, I've, I had a patient with a, a gun roll, rolled over their foot and shattered every single bone and like that's, that's traumatic. Mm-hmm. So dealing with them and then once you working with the doctors and, you know, having that curiosity scratched, having their to pick their big brains and be like, Hey, what do you see on on this x-ray that really fed into my sort of natural curiosity and inquisitiveness. So I, I really enjoyed that. You see people on like their best days and their worst days. So
0: as a medic, do you get to request whether or not you get posted to, say, a ship or an army unit or a field unit?
1: Not really. I mean, just as with the rest of the military, it, the service comes first. I mean, I was fortunate. I wanted to work in a clinic. Clinical medicine was what I was interested in at the mm-hmm. time. Um, so I did go to a, a clinic. Yeah. And then uh, after my bit in Gagetown, Town, I... Applied to commission as a TDO, and uh, I I can remember the moment I found out, and I was just in heaven after that. <laughs> Promptly useless for the rest of the day, but.
0: What does the application
1: process look like for that? So, because I was already educated and already had a degree, the the commissioning program that I pursued was the Special Commissioning Program. That's available to any member who is QL3 qualified or DP1, their basic occupational training you apply, you do, as, as with most trade changes, it's a, you know, your CFAT, uh, Canadian Forces Aptitude Test is a, is a factor. You do an interview for your target trades, uh, you know, typical admins like medical, that kind of thing up to date, and uh, that your university degrees are ideal or at least appropriate for your target trades, so... Uh, I did that in the late fall and it was April 26th when I was notified that uh, I had uh, been accepted.
0: Awesome. And then what does the training look like to become a a fully qualified TDO? So a
1: TDO is, we're already specialists in Mm -hmm. our trades. So um, most TDOs have uh, a master's of education, I have a master's of education. So we do our our basic occupational training um, in Borden at CFTDC. And uh, it's just kind of taking what we already know from our education and applying it into the context of the military. The military uses uh, an instructional design model that is modeled very closely on ADDIE, just a a design model. So we walk them through how how to do that sort of process, analysis, design, development, uh, implementation, and evaluation, and then teach them the more soft skills about how to facilitate uh, a room of subject matter experts to design training, because for them, it's their bread and butter, and, and they care a lot. And sometimes that can be a little, you know, a skilled TDO needs to manage those personalities and make sure those viewpoints are all accounted for and whatnot. so. So what
0: would a typical day as a TDO look like?
1: Uh, there is no typical day okay. for a TDO. Um, every single day at work is uh, is different for me. Working in CanSoft.com, it's, uh, you know, I, I definitely draw on my experiences from the conventional calf, but I apply them in very creative manners. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, there might be a very linear process uh, in the, the calf. In CanSoft.com, it, it's more about doing what, what works mm-hmm. um, and rapid prototyping. So I do employ different instructional design models in CanSoft.com, but my days can be filled with instructional design. I can be out with a course evaluating either the instructors, seeing if the students are actually on target with their the standard. I can be teaching instructors later this week. I'm, I'm teaching adult learning and assessment theory to a group of instructors that are coming in. So. Honestly, my days are filled with whatever, wherever I
0: can see value added. Right. And then how did you find yourself at CanSoftCom? Oh boy.
1: I did not envision myself within CanSoftCom up up until like the six months before I applied. Um, I am a very bubbly, girly girl. And you know, I the joke is that, oh, Meg's wearing her teacher clothes, um, so I didn't really think that I would fit in, in CanSoftCom. I had a lot of misconceptions, like embarrassingly so, you know, typically it's the six foot, physically imposing dude with like tattoos on their head, shaved head, and a beard, just, and a beard <laughs> and all the muscles all the time. Um, so that's like in very stark contrast to like my very petite five foot two frame that like wears heels and says, Hey. So I, I didn't think I would fit in. And it wasn't until I was at 403 Squadron in Gagetown as their TDO. Uh, it's a helo squadron, and uh, I had a new group of students that I was teaching on the flight instructor course. I was teaching them instructional methodology and evaluating, you know, how they present a lesson. And uh, I, I met a pilot that had been posted to four two seven. His name was Mike, and he said, "Have you ever thought about going to off? Like they need someone like you." And I'm like. Tell me more. <laughs> so I, I picked his brain about it, and I told him like I, I don't really fit in. He was like, it's it's not about what you physically bring to the table. I mean, your your job is completely cognitive. So they need someone that's smart, creative, outside the box thinker that's going to find that way to yes instead of. Rigidly adhering to the current process instead of like gaming it.
0: And when you join Cansoftcom, what specific <laughs> courses are required to become a member of Cansoftcom?
1: So I mean, there's so many different paths mm-hmm. into Cansoftcom. There's uh, supporters that come in that they're hired to do their job just in Cansoftcom and. And like I said, the job doesn't differ a whole lot, just maybe the manner in which you do it or the way you approach a problem requires a different bit of thinking. For me, the only training that I did once getting into the command was SOSET, the Special Operations Common Environmental Training. And that's just kind of a, you know, a bring everyone together to be like, this is who we are. This is what we do. These are the values. You know, there's some team building activities in there. There's uh, a lot of cultural um, type things, activities that we do, shooting as well, getting everyone proficient on, on the web- personal weapons. So the, the training itself is uh, is a great networking opportunity and whatnot, so that's the only training that I had to do. However, specialists that we bring in, they have different pipelines, particularly like our medical technicians, signalers, They all have a different pipeline, as do the operators and assaulters who have, you know, a very different uh, way that they become occupationally functional.
0: Right. And as a supporter, is there a specific fitness test that you have to do or is it just the force test?
1: So it's just the force
0: test um, as a supporter. (laughs) So you were saying how you're very bubbly and petite and then now you're on this course where you're doing all this shooting. How did you enjoy that? Oh, I loved it you know, being,
1: being girly does not pre-exclude the mm-hmm. fact that I really enjoy shooting weapons and sleeping in the woods. Like they're, they're not mutually exclusive things. You can be both as I am. I've really enjoyed shooting because the environment is very different and having access to uh, ladies and gentlemen that Shoot for a living; they become they're very proficient, and there's that that credibility that they have, knowing that a personal weapon is what they they use to do their job. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the approach uh, is very one of mentorship and coaching, not "you suck, stop sucking," mm-hmm. which is a common mantra that people feel when they're they're learning how to shoot. Cansoftcom takes a different approach; it's uh, a very you know, scaffolded
0: sort of meet you where you're at and bring you up slowly. Right. And then so be so being in cansoffcom, Comm, I would imagine that there are lots of people who are very physically fit and active. So what do you do to keep fit? So
1: we have a gym at the unit and I absolutely do the, the squats and the running. Uh, I mentioned earlier, I, I love, I seek that runner's high. I, I really enjoy it simply because it doesn't come naturally to me. Mm-hmm. So it, it feels like an accomplishment when I shave 30 seconds off my time for a five or 10 K. So I, I also dance. I mentioned earlier that I, I was a dancer. I, I do pole fitness for, for dancing, which is, you know, a very atypical sort of sport, but it's what, it, what gives me life. It's, uh, it, it's a way that I engage in self-care because it, it's so different. It's, uh, it's like gymnastics, but vertically. So yeah, pole fitness is, is something that I do for both fun and fitness.
0: When I lived so, in Halifax, I watched the, I believe it was the Atlantic Pole Fitness Competition. In Hampton. and It was in Halifax, okay. but it was so impressive. I mean, they make it look so easy. Yeah. And then it's like, if you see a pole, you go to try and just do one little move and you realize how difficult yeah. it is to hold yourself in those positions.
1: Massive amounts of upper body strength mm-hmm. and grip strength. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the pole that uh, we use in... Um, in competition, there's, there's always two, there's a static pole and a a spinning pole and they're 45 millimeter chrome poles. So you think you're going to grip it until you, you absolutely can't. So it does take a lot of grip strength and, um, it's not just about Brute strength. There's a lot of stabilizing muscles that it really really works not to mention the bruises that I get covered in had to tell from gripping I, I have a studio in my basement that I work out of and uh, I have had um, some of my coworkers that are of the uh, More traditional physique within can't and they can't do it. They can't do it. They try, but I uh, the, the flexibility and the stability is not quite there. So uh, there's a little bit of a, an entertainment factor there for me.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like you said, the little stabilizer muscles as well. I feel like doing that would really fire up your core oh, in yeah. some crazy ways. Oh yeah.
1: The core, it, it's an epic core workout. So
0: I feel like it would also transfer over really well to rock climbing. Have you ever 100% tried that? hundred percent.
1: Yeah. Okay. I, uh, I am excellent at rock climbing because of honestly. Um, the first time I ever tried rock climbing was, uh, in Trenton and it was just, I was at a working group. We were looking at the new rock climbing wall and anybody want to try? And I did, it was the first time. Mm-hmm. And, How long have you been climbing for? And I'm like, like, well, I've been climbing a
0: pole. 30 15. seconds. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, uh, definitely transferable strength, transferable mm-hmm. skill, flexibility, um, and whatnot. And, uh, as with, most people in the CAF, especially CansoftCom, we are dedicated to our jobs. And when it's busy, it, it's busy. So taking that step back to do a sport or an activity that you truly enjoy, that's mental care. Mm-hmm. Um, that's self care. And that's, that's a very critical component. Like you can take care of your, Physique, all you want, but if you're not doing something to like re-engage your your mind, that that leads to performance issues every bit as
0: as a, a physical injury does. And have you faced any times in your career, maybe on a, like a difficult course, or something that happened that you thought like I can't do this anymore? And if you have, what do you tell yourself to keep going? To be honest. No,
1: I've, I've never really felt like I can't do this. Mm -hmm. I have asked the question, do I want to do this? Mm -hmm. I have two children who are pretty much the reason that I I do all these things. It's to provide them opportunities that, that I wasn't given as a child. So it's difficult when I'm away from them for long stretches of time. And I, I have, you know, civilian friends who, just cannot fathom under any circumstance would they voluntarily leave their children for more than a week and and I'm gone for you know three months at a time so sometimes I do ask myself like is is this what I want to do um, and and the answer is always yes mm-hmm. well I am a mother and a spouse I'm a woman too I I love the sense of fulfillment and the purpose that I get from from going to work and doing a job that I Freaking love every single day,
0: and I would imagine that that might be better for kids to see a parent that's more fulfilled. Maybe they're away a bit more, but they're happier and they're more fulfilled in their job yeah. than to be going to a job that they can't stand every day and yeah. you know coming home upset and not being happy.
1: Yeah, my so I, ha- I have two two kids, two boys, twelve and four, and my twelve year old is my biggest fan. He is so proud of me. He will tell anybody who listens about his mom and what she does. And sometimes it's like, okay, okay. About <laughs> but, um, he, he's my biggest fan and he, he has told me, and I mean, I, I would wipe away a tear, but like he's, he says like, you're so inspiring mm. and like, okay, okay. What do you want? Do you yes. need allowance? <laughs> By
0: like, the way, this um... <laughs> new video game comes out next week.
1: Yeah. But, um, yeah, my, my son is super, and he. wants to join the military. So I mean, I'm doing something right. Mm -hmm. Um, I I hope he makes good choices and does something that inspires him the way that my job inspires me. So
0: as a TDO, do you get deployed at all? Or is it mostly just within Canada that you're working? So
1: TDOs get deployed a lot. Okay, wherever there's a training mission, we're gone. CanSoftcom is, is a little unique in the fact that most of our Job is is domestic because the training within Cansoftcom is is very efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, we train not for missions gone by, but for the mission that's happening in a couple months. Mm-hmm. So the training changes, and TDOS are are there to make sure that we're training appropriately, the right people at the right time, and the right amount of training you know there's a risk space involved in in everything that we do and because we're successful on missions that that speaks to the successful training that we do what is your specific role and what sort of projects are you working on so I I have 24 lines of effort right now. My main effort is um, focused on standing up our soft officer trade, which will be coming online really shortly. It should be online by the time your listeners are are hearing this, but. Uh, the everything from the task analysis right down to the design of, of the training that is that's happening right now. And uh, we're really employing a very rapid prototyping methodology towards the training. So at the same time that I am analyzing exactly what the job entails, I am already engaging with subject matter experts from legitimately all over the world to design the training and then design, choose the instructional methods, choose the instructors. So whereas in the CAF, they would typically do analysis and then they would design the training and then they would develop it and schedule it. All of that is happening within a three month period, which is unheard of. It's, it is fast by any standards, but that just speaks to CanSocom's motto, which is we will find a way. So while it may mean that some of my other lines of effort have to take a back seat, the soft officer having, developing our leaders of, of tomorrow and our future task force commanders, uh, that's going to pay dividends in um, more efficient uh, operations uh, with more confident leadership.
0: So will the soft officers be employed at all of the various units under the CANSOFCOM umbrella?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we we have three NCM trades, the assaulters, uh, SF operators, uh, as well as the CBRN operators. With the officer trade coming online, currently all of the officers within CANSOFCOM actually still fall under their original MOS ID, whether that's, you know, as an infantry officer, artillery officer, or a logistician, they technically still belong to that trade. Under the new trade, they're all going to come under one MOS ID. They will all be SOF officers. And in the beginning stages of their career, they will have a sub occupation. So if they are from JTF2, these SOF officers will be employed at JTF2 you know, with within that unit. Once they start getting up in ranks, you know, a Colonel sort of rank level, then it becomes more of the generalist career field soft officer where they're they're less about employing skill sets learned in their in their parent unit and
0: more about the organization at a strategic institutional level. And will they be able to choose which unit they go to or is that something that's decided after they get in as a soft? Officer.
1: So, for the ones that are currently in the command, they're going to stay in in whatever sub-occupation they're actually employed in right okay. now. That process will come online later this year. As with any other trade that stands up, it's a, a compulsory occupational transfer. Mm-hmm. For future iterations, it doesn't largely change. It's going to be, they're still going to submit a notice of intent to join JTF2 as a soft officer in that sub-occupation. There are still separate selections, separate employment models and whatnot.
0: Okay. Yeah, I just wasn't sure if it was like, okay, you join as a soft officer. Okay, we have this many people and now we have... X number of spots at CSOR, X number of spots at Cjru, or if you sort of apply directly to each No, as of, position. Right,
1: as of right now, each unit still recruits for their employment purposes. Mm-hmm. You know, there are constant conversations about how can we evolve? How can we be more efficient? Can we do this better? Mm-hmm. And you know there there's always talk about should it be a common selection is, is that an option? Should it stay the way it is? I, I think that those conversations will always be ongoing because uh, no matter what there there's going to be a better way of doing something. Um, and so canoff comes about that relentless pursuit of excellence and so maybe we'll evolve to a common selection maybe we won't.
0: When we were talking earlier, you said you had some misconceptions about Mm CanSoft.com. What would you like the listeners to know, maybe if they were thinking about joining, but they didn't want to because they had some misconceptions? What would you say like some of the biggest misconceptions are?
1: Some of the biggest misconceptions is that everybody needs to be this like six foot tall, brawny weapons master that's about kicking doors and, you know, the ones that are hyper obsessed with wartime tactics and analyzing Twitter feeds for like positioning and whatnot. You you don't need to be that. You need to be you Mm -hmm. and you need to be super effective at your job. You need to, to know your job inside, out, frontwards, backwards, because there's going to be very very unique problems that come up in Gantsoftcom that are going to need you to deconstruct the way you do things and make a new process because the, the processes that you learned before might not fit the problem. I would tell your listeners, do not ever deselect yourself. We employ a very robust recruiting cell that is excellent at guiding people in the right direction. And, and the process itself, if if you are not cut out for CanSoft Comfort for whatever reason, that's gonna come out. You you don't need to worry about that. Let Let our recruiting cell worry about that.
0: So you did mention that your spouse is in the military as well. Mm-hmm. How does that work when it comes to postings and deciding who to send where?
1: Yeah, so postings are a negotiation, not only between him and I, but Career managers, as well. For the most part, um, it's been fairly balanced, to be honest. Um, you know, uh, sometimes it's his posting. This one was mine. Um, he followed me. So both of us have give and take. Sometimes uh, his career will need to take a back seat when mine is,
0: is forging a path forward. And, and likewise, um, you mentioned doing pole fitness as a sort of mental health way of de-stressing mm-hmm. um, and doing that activity. But what other ways do you use to cope with this? What sort of sounds very overwhelming with a very busy job yeah. and balancing your kids and your spouse and your dog and everything else that goes along with that?
1: Yeah, so funny enough, my oldest just turned 12 and can babysit his brother. So sometimes I, uh, I definitely get on that to go and do yoga or um, head to the gym, even just going, putting on a, a ruck and like dragging my kids when I have to, they'll walk beside me while I have 40 pounds on my back. Um, so like that's another, it's a, it's a physical activity, but it's, it's a mental activity as well. But I, I lean pretty heavily on my, my network of amazing people that, you know, they started off as, as colleagues and they've become friends. So when I have, a really unique problem. I reach out to the other TDOs at the other CanSoftCom units. If if I have if I have a day where just nothing is going right, I call a friend and I'm like, "We're not solving a problem here. We're just listening." And they're <laughs> like, "Okay, well, we're, we're going to listen then."
0: So, yeah, it's important to have people like that. And then also important for you to do that when it's their turn to, to talk. Hundred
1: percent. And that's. That's something that's, that's beautiful about CansoftCom. Not that it wasn't in the CAF. Like, I definitely had my network of people in the CAF, but because of the, the tempo and the, um, and the job within, within CansoftCom, we're all, when there's work, everybody is working and it, it comes together, particularly at my unit, which is, um, the Canadian Special Operations Training Center we're very minimally staffed. So when there is a, a course that comes online that requires all hands on deck, it doesn't matter what your background is, your trade, everyone comes together. And so I see that both professionally at work and personally uh, in, in my life.
0: So, In the calf, when there's a service couple, do you think that one career always has to take priority or do you think that there's a way for both people to excel in their careers?
1: So the optimist in me wants to say that there's always a way there is give-and-take and and there is um, Definitely some compromise that has to happen and and my husband and I have had some very real conversations about that and um, as Unfortunate as it is one person's career does take more of a hit than than the other and often that that's my husband's career. Mm-hmm. But that's that's also in, in keeping with, with who I am and who he is. My my husband is one of my biggest supporters and he is super happy to see me do all the things and jump out of the planes and like go get it. And and he's he's happy to to do that. I did that for him at one point before the military. Mm-hmm. He was posted to Beckettville Bill and my teaching license didn't transfer. So Immediately at least so uh, I gave up my 10-year truck position in Nova Scotia to, to follow him on his adventure And so uh, he's doing the same for me right now. And yeah, as much as give and take as it is um, Sometimes it's hard to find that balance. It's just you're always you're always
0: trying So going back to what you just said, do you actually jump out of planes? I have jumped out of a
1: plane um, truth be told Jumping out of an airplane was literally the only thing that I could say that scared the bejeebus out of me. It was the, the thing that I knew if, if I was going to ever freeze, it would be that. And so the first opportunity that I got to do that I was, I was in, I was like, okay, it's the only thing that, that I think scares me. So let's just face it head on. And so I did. And it was awesome. <laughs> was this in the military or yeah, was this civilian? Yeah, this was in, okay. in calm. I, I got to do that and uh, definitely an adrenaline rush. I can see why there are so many jump schools and skydiving institutions because it it is an unparalleled rush. To have like the air and like when you see the ground and know like there this it's a piece of fabric above you like that's that messes with your brain a little bit but um, you have a line of people behind you that are coming out so you better go <laughs> so it was a static line jump that you did no 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 or so did you go
0: I, tandem It went tandem okay
1: so, awesome um it was yeah my first experience I, <laughs> it's probably best I went with tandem so that there was like a two hundred and fifty pound dude pushing me out. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it, it, it scared me until I was up there and then it was like, well, it's either going to work as intended or it's not. And I won't know anyway, (laughs) but ultimately skydiving is way safer than like driving a car and I drive a motorcycle. So, I mean, I obviously I'm not super risk averse. It's just, you know, the finality of the parachute not opening is is very, there, there's a line
0: in the sand. Yes. Right? <laughs> yeah. Although, so it is good. You said that you probably should have done the other way or that it was good that you did tandem for your first time. Yeah. And I think so just because of the fact that if you do the static line, you don't experience the feeling of free fall, yeah. which I think is so important to skydiving. Yeah. So yeah. It is awesome to get to do that. Yeah,
1: I, I was in free fall for 45 seconds or mm-hmm. so. And um, I what I wasn't prepared for was like how you feel the air go through your sinuses. And like I, I have never taken a breath so clear as I did when I touched down the first time. It was... It was awesome. And have you
0: just gone once or have you gone multiple times? Just the once.
1: I was actually going to take a a civilian course myself, but then I got tasked elsewhere uh, across the pond, so uh, I could not do that.
0: Awesome. And my final question that I always ask all of my listeners is what advice would you give to women looking to join the Canadian Forces? Do it. Do it immediately.
1: There are a lot of horrible, horrible headlines about the Canadian Armed Forces and uh, I, I've been in for over a decade now and I, I have felt uh, some of those headlines myself, but I can say is it's getting better, a lot better, and it is a, there's never been a better time for women to be who you are, whether that is girly, if you're the tomboy, it, it doesn't matter join. There's a place for you. And it's it's not always about, you know, the muscles on your arms. It's about the, the brain. It's about who you are as a person. Diversity does make
0: us stronger. So join us. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you for listening. The biggest way to help support this podcast is to leave a rating and review on your Apple podcasts and Spotify apps. You can also visit my Instagram page at Shoot Like a Girl Podcast to see photos from the guests, keep up to date with the podcast, and find out about any merchandise releases.